I'm really praying that you will have ears to hear, that your spirit will hear what God's actually communicating, communicating through the scriptures. Often, again, when you mention the love of God, you're going to teach on love or you're going to talk about that. People kind of yawn and they say, oh, yeah, the love walk, uh-huh. Yeah, love walk. And I know immediately, like I said last week, that when people respond or react like that, it's, it's immediately evident to me that they have no idea whatsoever of the strength that I'm talking about. And as we mentioned again, remember 1 John says God is love. Now think about that. Stop, slow down, tune your ears in, and think for a moment. God is love. God is powerful. Therefore, love is powerful. It is the most powerful force in all of the planet Earth. There's nothing more powerful than that. As I say, God has good eyesight. Well, love is the greatest eyesight you'll ever, hear, ever see through. Love has great hearing. God has great hearing. If you see what I'm trying to say, they run parallel. But truly, when you consider this, you have to really look at this. Love authored this book. Every scripture was written by love. Even the hard ones. You have to, you have to meditate this in this so deeply. You have to consider that the love of God is the core of all Christianity. I mean, God created man in the very beginning because he is love. Think on that. He created mankind. Love created mankind for fellowship. Love is never fulfilled until it gives itself away. And so God gave of himself by creating man in his own image, in his own likeness. And he infused him and he surrounded him with all manner of beauty and glory in, in the garden, everything. That was God's, it's called the law of first dimension. You saw God's perfect will from the very beginning, what his absolute perfect will was for mankind. No lack, no concern, no fear whatsoever. Everything but everything was permeated with God himself. God would come and walk with Adam in the cool of the garden and so on. So there's so, so, so many things to consider here. Even when you read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, really you begin to see that everything happened through love. Everything. Yes, I can hear you asking questions already. How about when he orders the death and destruction of an entire people in one heavy city? But you have to see things. You have to learn how to interpret scripture through the character of God. And you have to have covenant understanding to see that when God gives a promise, when love gives a promise, he keeps it no matter what. And it was never a matter of God being angry as we think of anger, of him being wanting to kill people as we think of that. It's just that God is absolutely positively dedicated to being truthful to what he has spoken and truthful to the covenant that he has made between God and himself, between man and himself. Therefore, when man broke the covenant, he had no choice for him to be faithful to the covenant. He had to allow the bad things to come and happen. But again, that's a whole other topic. But again, all through scripture, and of course, David, I started reading Psalms again yesterday. To me, Psalms is like eating your favorite ice cream. I, I love the book of Psalms. I mean, I, you know, when it comes to reading Psalms and your devotions, there's certain, you know, David had so many beautiful things. But I just had a few scriptures here I wanted to read before we really get into it. Psalm 25.10 says, 
David says, all the paths of the Lord, think about this, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and steadfast love. Even truth and faithfulness are they for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Every path of God is, is full of mercy and steadfast love. Now again, you see, we just read that real quickly, but this is how you begin to learn to recognize the voice of God. If it's the God path, it's going to be full of mercy. It's going to have steadfast love in it. It's going to have the peace in it. Psalm 32:10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in, relies on, and confidently leans on the Lord shall be compassed about with mercy and loving kindness. That word compassed about means literally, he said, if when you learn to fear the Lord on God's side, he encircles you. He absolutely encircles you, compasses you round about. Everything around you is full of his loving kindness and full of his steadfast love. But see, if we're not taught about these things, we do not know how to recognize it. But it's around you right now. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what the situation may be. The loving kindness and the tenderness and the steadfast love of our God is, round, round, is fully round about you right now. Psalm 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth itself is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Think about that. Again, we just skimmed scripture. The entire earth is full of the loving kindness of God. I said the entire earth is full of the loving kindness of God. Not the anger, not the wrath. That was carried out on Jesus. Psalm 33:22. David said, let your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us. I like this one. In proportion to our waiting and hoping for you. In other words, he's saying, you see, you have to learn to wait on me. You have to learn to at least position yourself before me to actually begin to experience what I really have for you, which is indeed my mercy and my loving kindness. Hallelujah. Anyhow, I thought I'd just start with those, but I want you to turn to Ephesians 1 now, because now today's when we're actually going to get into this thing I call the love walk. Now, again, what happened to me, I'll repeat myself from the last few weeks. In the beginning, well, many, many years ago in my Christian walk, within two years of me being saved, the Lord just really captured me. He, he, I saw the scripture in Romans where it says that all the commandments, all the commandments, all the commandments of the Lord are fulfilled in this one commandment that we love one another. I read that and I went, what? All the commandments. Anything and everything about your will for us is summed up in the one commandment that we love one another. And I remember thinking to myself, man, rather than being so shook up about trying to figure out every other aspect of what your will is in these areas, you're saying that if I get this one thing, if I actually get an understanding, if I actually capture the God kind of love, that everything else will be taken care of? And he said, that's absolutely right. This one command sums up all the rest of them. If you get this one, the others don't even become commands anymore. They become the natural outgrowth of the revelation of the love of God in us, the love of God to us, and the love of God through us. So I set myself on a, on a, on a journey, and like I did, I'm repeating myself again. But the Lord, one of the first things he had me do, <clears throat> he said, I want you to read the entire New Testament. And he said, I want you to find every single place you find a personal pronoun that 
personal pronoun that represents me. You know, Father, Son, God, Him, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, whatever they may be. I want you to read the entire New Testament to put the word love there. He said, because I want you to get a deeper consideration and revelation of who I am. And that was an exercise for me. But I tell you, all I can t it produced so much fruit and comprehension in my life. In Him we live and move or have our being. So it was in love that we live and move and have our being because Him is love, right? So it took me on a journey. So I read all the New Testament, like I said, of course, then you come into, you know, when you read in Jesus and John 14 and 15 in particular, three times, this is the Last Supper, remember John 14, 15, and 16, is literally the conversation that Jesus Christ is having with his disciples, the ones who are gonna carry forward all of heaven's message. These guys are gonna carry forward all of heaven's assignment and Jesus is really delegating all of, his, all of his truth to them. And in those two chapters, 14 and 15, three times, three times he says to them, a new commandment I'm giving unto you now, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. A new commandment, three times. He tells these guys, if you can picture him sitting there, or you know, they laid down, lounging there at this table and then he looks around at the 12 and he says a new commandment i'm giving you you love one another a new commandment i give unto you you love one another a new commandment i'm giving unto you that you love one another and then of course he said this it is by this that all men shall know that you're one of my disciples the only uttered characteristic that Jesus said would identify people as his disciples is this love. This is where we have to redefine love because in the English language, when you use the word love, people only think of one aspect. They think of a romantic love, like I love this girl or I love this guy, whatever it is. But of course, the Greek had far more finite understanding definitions. There were actually four Greek words. We'll get into that another time. Actually, if you want to know the truth, there was five, but there was four. But the, way, the main one, the love of God is always this word that, well, some pronounce it agape, some pronounce it agape. I don't care how you pronounce it, as long as you get the truth of it. <clears throat> I pronounce it agape, being American. But the word agape speaks to a depth of selflessness. It speaks to an ever-living desire to give of oneself. It speaks of the heart of always wanting to do for others. No real interest in yourself. Something that's going to always be of benefit to those around you. That's why Jesus came. That's what he showed when he was here. And he said, that's what's going to identify you and I as one of his. Hallelujah. So again, I began this walk through the whole New Testament, but in particularly, you know, when you get into the Pauline epistles, remember Paul wrote some 80% of the New Testament, which again, I, I'm sorry, 80% of the New Covenant revelation that we have of Christianity is through the Pauline epistles is what I'm trying to say. But Paul over and over of over again made this truth known. So anyhow, but I'm just going to start in Ephesians today. We're going to go along. I'm just going to read a couple of quick verses before we get to the main verse I want to work with today. Right in Ephesians 1, in the very beginning, it says here, verse 3, Ephesians 1, verse 3, and I read from the Amplified Bible. 
He said, May blessing, praise, laudation, and eulogy be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual given by the Holy Spirit, blessing in the heavenly realm. And then verse 4 says, Even as in his love, even as in his love, he chose us. In his love, he chose you. In his love, he chose us. He actually picked us out for himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, set apart for him, blameless in his sight. And listen, even above reproach before him in agape, above reproach before him in love. This is why you gotta train yourself to look for the word love Everywhere you read, you look for the word love. You look for that which speaks to it. In King James, the word is charity. Okay? And then in verse 5, he says this, For he foreordained destined, he planned in love for Rod. Hallelujah. He planned, he doesn't plan in anger. He doesn't plan in, desert, in anything other than love. He planned in love because he is love. All of the plans of God come from love. Again, you've got to tune your ears up. You've got to tune them in. For he foreordained destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted and revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ. And I love the Amplified, it says here, in accordance with the purpose of his will because it pleased him. It simply pleased him and it was his kind intent. In other words, God did all this for us just because he loved us too much, so much. And then right to Ephesians 2 verse 4, he simply says, but God, this is, well, you remember in the first few verses, Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you he made alive when you were dead and your trespasses and sins and so on. And in verse 3, he says, among these is we as well as you once lived and we conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior was governed by our corrupt and sensual nature. We obeyed the impulses of the flesh. We obeyed the thoughts of the mind. Our cravings were dictated by our senses and our dark imaginations, and we were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. Then verse 4 just shouts, but God, I'm sorry if I get too loud, but I love it. But God, so rich is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love where with he loved us even when we were dead and slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ he gave us the very life of Christ himself the same new life with which he quickened him for it is by grace his favor and mercy which you did not deserve that you are saved delivered from judgment hallelujah and made a partaker of Christ's salvation. The word that caught me again has been verse 4 when it says the wonderful and the intense love. And I just thought about that. See, God, I don't know, when I study, when I read, God stops me in particular words. And I just camp there for a while. I plant myself there and I think on a word. I will literally think on a word, intense. Intense. Rod, what's intense mean? God has an intense love. See, God's not just passive. God's not just kicking back, you know, I think I'll like Tommy today, or I think I may like David tomorrow. I don't know, Jason, I'm not sure about. I may not like him until next month. I'm not, no, no, no. I know, it's funny. 
forgive me. But the fact is, see, I would sit and I'd try to get a picture of what intensity looks like. That's just how weird I am. Sorry, but that's the way it goes with me. Think what intensity looks like. How do you look when you're intense? Ask your wife if you're married. Ask your, ask your husband if you're a woman. Intensity. An intense love. He doesn't just love me. I don't know about you guys, but he loves me. I am the apple of his eye. Isn't that right, sweetheart? <laughs> he loves me with an intense love. But see what happened? First John, and I'm way ahead of myself, First John says you need to believe the love that God has for you. So I would sit back and I would think, you love me intensely? Yes, I do. But don't you know all the areas I fall short? Yes, I do. Doesn't that make any difference to you? No, it doesn't. Why? Because I'm love. But how can you? Because I'm love. How can you love? But I'm love. And then, of course, he took me to Romans 2, 4, way back when, where it says, where Paul said, are you shamefully ignorant of the fact that it is the goodness of God the goodness of God that's intended to draw your heart and your mind to repentance, to change the way you think, to change the way you live. And it took me a long while to realize that in the midst of all my shortcomings, God's love for me never was diminished an iota. His love for me was intense, so intense that the scripture tells us he even bypassed my sins. That offends religious people, but it is what God has done. But it offends religious people. But don't get angry at me. Go read the Bible for yourself and find out for yourself what it says, and you'll be, well, pleasantly surprised. But now, and remember, and anyhow, let me, let me jump ahead here. I'm going to go ahead and go to Ephesians 3 now, because if I don't, I'll be taking way too long today. Ephesians 3 is where, to me, it was, it's one of the most concrete passages in all scripture for me as far as the love walk. I'm going to start in Ephesians 3 verse, uh, let's see. I'll start in verse 12, Ephesians 3:12. Paul said, talking about us being in Christ, in whom, because of our faith in him, we dare to have the boldness the courage and the confidence of free access, hallelujah, an unreserved approach to God with freedom and without fear. Now think about that. I, you and I actually have fullness and freedom of access to the most high God. Do you understand how absolutely revolutionary that thought was at that time when all of these people have been brought up their entire histories you know, only the high priest can come near the presence of God and not and him not without the blood of bulls and goats for his own sin. But again, what casts out fear? Love. Perfect love is what gets rid of there's no there can't there's no fear in an atmosphere of love. There isn't the ability for fear to exist in the atmosphere of pure agape love. That's so I ask you, he said, verse 13, not to lose heart, not to faint, or to become despondent through fear at what I'm suffering in your behalf. Rather, glory in it, for it is an honor to you. And then he prays this wonderful prayer that all of us should pray. For this reason, 
Seeing the greatness of this plan, I always have to, I have difficulty not stopping there because he saw the plan of God. Seeing the greatness of this plan by which you are built together in Christ, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that Father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. May he grant you out of the rich treasury of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit himself indwelling your innermost being and personality. May Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. And this next sentence is the one that I've worked with all these years. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. But now I've got to read the next verses before I come back to this. Let me read it again. May you be rooted. Your root system needs to be in the love of God. Your foundation needs to be in the love of God. Otherwise you'll build on something that's shaky and won't stand. But let me continue to read. Look at the fruit that comes from being rooted and founded in God's love. See, everything is important. Learning of prayer is important. Prophecy is important. The gifts of the Spirit, all those things are important. Nobody's saying they're not. But the love of God is the one who authored all of those things. And to see them and comprehend them far better than you do now, to really have clarity of understanding of prayer, prophecy, apostolic works, I don't care what it is. God wants his nature to be foremost in your nature. He wants you to be founded and rooted in the love, in love, in love, in love. But the, got me, the God kind of love, not the world's kind of love. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love that you may have the power. That you may have the power to be strong and apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's people, the experience of that love. He wants you to experience it for yourself, not just talk about it, read about it. He said, you've got to be rooted in it and you've got to be founded on it so that you can have the power to experience it. I'll read it all the way. That you may really come to know, well, I'm sorry, that you may have the power and be strong and apprehend and grasp with all saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it? Four dimensions, not just three like we're used to living in. Well, most of us live in two. If you fly a lot, you're in three. Then verse 19, he continues, he said, that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all... What do you do with this verse? My God, it's all dependent on being rooted and founded in love. That you may really come to know the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, that you may have the richest... It's just blows my mind that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence. Isn't that what we're all after? Isn't that one of the bywords nowadays? We want, we're a presence-centered church and all this kind of stuff, which is, of course, but 
do you hear what he's saying? It's all dependent on being rooted and founded in God's love. That you may be filled through all your being. Think about that. You and I can be filled throughout all of our being. Every iota of our spirit, soul, and body can be filled with the richest measure of divine presence. And he says, and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. I cannot tell I've read that verse so many times, and I have made myself not ever read it too quickly, and I made myself never skim it, that I might be a body wholly filled and flooded. Is that possible? It has to be, otherwise Paul wouldn't have had it. The Spirit of God wouldn't have had this in here. You, but see, it's all dependent on what? It's all dependent on you having a revelation and understanding of the God kind of love. Now remember, you love your dog, you love peanut butter, you love tacos, you love your wife. Like we always say, but you better not love your wife like you love tacos. Because that don't work. You know what I mean? The world has all these different things. We're talking about the most supernatural manifestation of heaven there is, which is God's love in an ugly earth. Did you hear me? There's no greater supernatural manifestation than the love of God because God's love comes where it's not, it's not deserved. God justifies the ungodly. Love justifies. Love will justify ungodly people because it's way beyond. This is why you learn, you, why you recognize Jesus said, I can new commandment I gave you. And you remember last week I said the word commandment means a decree or a declaration from which there is no retreat. In other words, you cannot walk in the love of God and wear your feelings on your shirt cuff, I always say. If you're always getting offended, I mean, if you're always getting upset, always irritated, always offended, that's where you start because you're wrong. You're wrong. If that's what's happening to you, you're just, you do not have the fullness of the love of God at work in your life. Has any of us achieved that yet? No. But the issue is we need to see that it's available. And we need to see the reason that we might become a body wholly filled with God himself. That's why no matter what, I work on my life. I try to work it hard at recognizing when I get start, just when you first start to get upset, you know, when that, that stuff, you know, like a, this guy once says, you begin to feel that hot chili sauce rising up your legs. <laughs> you know what, you're about to get more and more angry. You catch yourself. You learn to just catch yourself and say, no, 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 it's not worth it. I don't want to distance myself from you. I do not want to distance. I, I refuse to distance myself from you by entering into strife or ill will or being angry or mad or negative or whatever. And then he finishes this thing. He says, now to him, verse 20, in consequence of the action of his power that is within us. And the, what he's talking about there, the power that's within you is his love. That's when you qualify to be able to quote this verse or to have faith for this verse. Now to him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, he's finally now able to carry out his purpose. And guess what? He will do super abundantly, far over and above all that we could dare ask or think infinitely beyond my highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. 
My God, what do you do with that verse? Do, do we believe it or we just think it's some spectacular moment God had? The Spirit of God suddenly throw that in there, but I don't mean it. You know what I mean? It's just in there, but nobody means it. No, we can't think like that. Again, see the will of God. I want to do infinitely beyond your highest dreams. I said I want to do infinitely beyond whatever you think good is. I want to blow your mind. I want to lavish so much goodness upon you that you can't stand it. I always remember when reading the revivalist, I forget who it was now, if it was Finney or Moody, I think it was Moody. No, I think, I don't remember, Finney, I think it was Moody. You have heard the story before where he, he felt the Spirit of God. He was walking down Wall Street in New York, and he began to feel the Spirit of God come upon him, and he knew he had a friend that lived close, so he walked a couple of blocks real quickly, it said, walks in and knocks on the door, and he asks this, this friend of his, may I please come in, may I please come in, I need a room, I need a room, may I be alone in the room, may I be alone in the room. So he goes into the room, and he begins, and he said, the Spirit of God fell on me so strong, he said, I begin to worship and praise God, but he said, unspeakable joy remember unspeakable joy came upon me he said joy so powerful joy happiness and the ecstasy so powerful that i began to cry out to god stop 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 i'm gonna die i'm gonna die if i have any more joy i'm gonna freak out i will die if any more joy happens to me right now i mean you know you read that stuff and you go <laughs> But this, that stuff, can you imagine having so much joy, so much laughter, so much what, that you feel like you're going to die and you get scared and you ask God to stop, 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 stop. I haven't been there yet. I don't know about you. Maybe some of you have, but I haven't been there yet. But think about that. God, no more, no more, no, no more joy. No, no, stop, stop, stop. No, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Too good. You're too good. Too much goodness. Stop, stop. But imagine that's what this is saying. I want to do infinitely far above and beyond your highest dreams and prayers. Hallelujah. Now let's jump back to this so I can actually get to what I want to preach this Sunday. It's about this thing that you might be rooted in love. Now, some of you, you've heard me share. I'm going to share a couple of stories about my dad again. I've only got another. I'm going to, this morning's message is going to be two hours long. So sorry about all that, you live streamers and all the people that are helping here. But you know, my dad, like I said, my dad had what in America we call a green thumb. That was one of his great gifts. In other words, he had incredible grace upon him about learning, uh, growing things, plants, trees, and stuff. I grew up all my life watching my dad. We had eight acres of strawberries. Even the strawberries. In California, there's a university called Davis, Davis <coughs> University. Davis University is the most best, is the best known university in all of the United States of America for agriculture. In other words, they're the ones that have the leading scientists that deal with soil, <clears throat> deal with understanding plants and this, that, and the other, and everything's going on. My dad's strawberries, <laughs> we just had eight acres of strawberries and green acres outside Bakersfield, California. People would buy these and somehow, <clears throat> somewhere along the line, somebody started eating my dad's strawberries that knew somebody in Davis and they said, these strawberries, there's something different about Andy Anderson's strawberries. These strawberries are incredible. Well, long, I'll cut to the chase. These strawberries were so good, they wound up somehow, it was through a chain of events, that three guys came from Davis University. They came down to our little bitty house. Well, I'm a little bit, we had 12 acres, but a long time ago out in the country. Eight acres of strawberries, like I said. 
And they came and they walked with my dad through our rows. These are rows of strawberries. Us kids, we used to sleep in the middle of them at nighttime. You know, it's real hot in Southern California. We'd sleep in there and wake up in the morning and have fresh strawberries for breakfast. I love that. But these guys walked up and down these, these rows and looking and asking my dad questions. What did you do with this? How did you do this? How do you do? Long story short, they wound up saying, you know, the, my, the strawberries, they began to take all these hints that my dad gave them and uh, began to say, and anyhow, they wound up saying these were the finest strawberries in the whole world. You know what I mean? Just, but I say all that to say, my dad, like I said, he knew about plants and stuff. I mean, he, we, he grafted a peach tree and an apricot tree together, and he called them peach cots. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Really great little fruit, a whole brand new thing. We had blackberries that were out of this world. I, I miss my mama's blackberry cobbler, something fierce, man, I'm telling you. Man, that was righteous. But strawberries, blackberries, we had, like I said, uh, fruit, trees. We had sweet corn. We had potatoes. Uh, Dad just, but the thing I learned from him, well, I learned tons from him. One of the things was that he used to like he used to call it, I meant, you know, go out and patter in my garden. I would walk, I'd get up in the morning with him. We'd go outside and he'd walk every row. I don't care what it was, the corn, he'd walk the bushes, you know, the blackberry bush, whatever. And any little tiny weed, the moment it showed up, he got rid of it. You know what I mean? But I'm telling, I can't go into all of it because it would take too long. But I mean, he knew about the soil. He knew how to prepare the soil for the stuff, because he always said this, and I've got a couple of quotes here from, I got a quote from the Smithsonian Institute's magazine, and I wanted to find something about the importance of a root system, you know what I mean? But my dad always used to make this statement, listen to me, are you listening? The deeper the roots, the greater the fruits. The deeper the roots, the greater the fruits. And there's a lot of things involved, but the root system, of course, is where a plant derives and gets all of its nutrients from, from the soil. So you gotta have good soil, but that's God takes care of that because he takes the stony heart out of you and replaces it with the heart of flesh when you get saved. So you wind up having a good heart, whether you realize it or not, you've got good soil. You know, Mark 4, the whole parable of the sower of the seed, but anyhow. You need to be rooted, see, in love. You need to have a saw because no matter what, like I was a forestry major in college myself, and of course I was taught over and over again the importance of no matter how beautiful a tree is or things are, you know, it's dependent upon the root structure. Anybody knows that if you, if somehow disease gets in the root system of a tree, or if you cut the tap root off of a tree, somehow dig through and a tap root of a tree is cut, listen to me, that tree will stand maybe for another 65 years, but it's dead. It's dead because when the root system is messed up, everything else, there won't be fruit, it'll be messed up. And so I'm just trying to say, think on this. God categorically says you need to be rooted in the love of God. Now this is that quote, John, if you can put up this, this first thing, if the quotes, I hope it can come up. Uh, and some of it, of course, is obvious, but the roots, the deeper the roots, the greater the fruits. No tree can survive and grow without nurturing and anchoring roots. They say that the only thing that grows in two directions at once is a tree. The roots grow downward as the tree grows upward. 
even though the roots are not visible to the naked eye and don't seem so obvious, they are like the foundation of a building. While often underground, roots are the indispensable foundation of a tree which allows it to grow upward and outward. Now think about this yourself. Now again, you are the planting of the Lord. The scripture says you are the planting of the Lord. They're like the foundation. And while often underground roots are indispensable foundation of a tree which allow it to grow upward and outward, a tree also has a, has a solid trunk above ground. Trees are known for their solidity. A strong tree does not get destroyed in a storm. It'll sway, but it'll stand. The firm tree trunk represents or reflects our solid, unwavering values, our integrity, and we stand strong because our root system is strong, healthy, and stabilized in good soil. A German naturalist, I forgot his name so I couldn't put it on. This is the part of the article, this next two paragraphs that come from the Smithsonian. A German naturalist article published in the Smithsonian Institute magazine, quote, all the trees, this guy's, this, his, he wrote an entire book. The name of the book is this, Trees Talk to One Another. Did you know that trees talk to each other? They do. All the trees here and in every forest that is not too damaged are connected to each other through underground fungal networks. Trees share, I want you to try to see the parallel between the connection that each and every one of us are to have because our root system is in the same stuff of God. Let me keep reading. All the trees here and in every forest is not too damaged are connected to each other through underground fungal networks. Trees share water and nutrients through the networks and also use them to communicate. They send distress signals about drought and disease, for example, or insect attacks, and other trees alter their behavior when they receive these messages. Therefore, we're discovering that trees talk with each other. Now, this is something that has since been ratified, certified by all manner of people that have come to study this. Next paragraph. Scientists, I don't know how to pronounce this word. Scientists call these mycorrhizal networks the fine hair-like root tips of trees joined together with microscopic fungal filaments to form the basic links of the network which appears to operate as a symbiotic relationship between trees and fungus or perhaps an economic exchange. As a kind of fee for services, the fungus consume about 30% of the sugar that trees photosynthesize from sunlight. The sugar is what fuels the fungus as they scavenge the soil for nitrogen, phosphorus, and other mineral nutrients which are then absorbed and consumed by the trees. Hugh Bennett said this, out of the long list of nature's gifts to man, none is perhaps so utterly so essential to life as soil. Now, what has all that got to do with this? Because I'm trying to get you to see something. They actually, when I read this, it's funny, they call it, like we call it the World Wide Web. These scientists and naturalists call it the Wood Wide Web. <laughs> that all through the woods, they communicate with each other. But catch this, see, when you're rooted in love, and I'm rooted in love. We're connected. You hear me? We're root. It's, uh, it's beneath. It's not right up here necessarily. It's supposed to be connected up here. And it will be in Christ. But down here, see, you and I are connected. Because we're in the same Christ. We're rooted in the same love. 
You've got to really think on this. Don't just let it be something that, you know, you just, everything that everything, God made these trees. God made that nature to work that way. They're dependent, they're symbiotic relationship. That means they depend on one another for nutrients. They depend on one another for life. And see, Jesus said that we might be one. Me and you, you and me, like the trees and this fungus. That's the way science, God made this stuff to function like this. And he's telling us now, you need to be rooted. Paul says you gotta be rooted in this stuff. See, this is why again, you gotta study it. You can't just read it at face value. Okay, I need to be rooted in love. No, you gotta see the reason for soil, the reason for root systems. You gotta see that the very life and the product and the sweetness of the fruit is dependent upon the root system and the soil that are said, I'm supposed to be rooted in the love of God. Of course, then the next one, almost exactly the same foundation. We're to be founded in the love of God. Now, again, I've told this story many times. My dad, again, was a building contractor. And in California, I know California's area, you know, where we, we experienced earthquakes. The biggest I ever experienced was 1952. I was only seven years old, no, five years old. But I will never ever forget these giant cracks. I never forget walking the stores and all these giant shelves knocked over. I remember we walked out to places and we found these big cracks about 10, 12 inches wide. And you could drop a rock down them and you could hear that rock tumble and you would never hear it stop tumbling. I mean, I don't know how deep it was, but it was crazy. And earthquakes are a funny thing, man. I guarantee it because, you know, you, it storms, you can see it coming. Earthquake just happens and you're going... <laughs> Is on my dreaming or what, man? It is a fearful thing. But nevertheless, my dad was a building contractor. And um, one day uh, after I had been saved, my father had died, and I had gone back to California to preach. And I was speaking to church, and I went with this pastor to a local restaurant, you know, uh, like they do. And it was in the morning, and this guy named Charlie Sutton was there. Charlie Sutton used to be one of my father's carpenters. And I hadn't seen him in years. He looked at me and he called me Little Andy. My dad, you know, Anderson's normally they're nicknamed Andy. And so uh, he looked, just I heard this, hey, Little Andy, is that you? I hadn't heard Little Andy for like 18, 20 years. I turned around and I barely, and I said, Charlie? Long story short, Charlie comes, sits down and talks with me. He is now the state of California. He lives in Sacramento, the capital of California, and he is the head of the Department of Building and blah, blah, blah for the entire state of California. And he sat down and began to tell me stories about stuff. He said, you know, he said, I came here. He said, you know, on the last several earthquakes we've had, he said, I was really curious about the houses that uh, I worked with on your dad uh, because he said, we're going all through Los Angeles. We're going down San Diego area, San Francisco, of course, and all these different areas. And we're, they're doing these surveys, the geological surveys and what have you, these homes and how much they've been affected by earthquakes. And he said, you know, and then he said, that, I never forgot it. He said, you know why your dad never made any big money? <laughs> I kind of laughed and went, no, why? He said, because he built every house like he was gonna live in it himself. Mm. And he went on and he paid my father the greatest compliment I ever heard. He said, you know, the thing is, we looked at all these houses, these neighborhoods and the ones your father built. He said, you know, in the entire, listen to this, this is, I'm not, telling a lie here, this is the truth. He said in the entire state of California, your father's houses that he built are the only houses in California that never had a crack in them. 
He said it because he built everyone like he's going to. He said he didn't care about the cost. He wanted it built right. He said, and then he said this, and it, I've never forgotten this. He said, Rod, in carpentry, when you first want to become a carpenter, you're an apprentice. He said, as you're faithful to work as an apprentice, he says, you know, you become a carpenter, as it were, and they recognize you as a carpenter. But then he said, you can file to become a contractor, and he said, that's when you're called a journeyman. He said, you, so you can be an apprentice, then you can move up to a carpenter, then you can be a journeyman. But he said, there's one other stage, listen, he said, there's one other stage that very few people ever get to, and he said, that's craftsman. And he said, your father was a true craftsman. He said, he would make cuts so precise, so clean, and so clear that you could put stuff together, literally almost not even have to nail them and fix them. He said he was just an incredible man. My dad would build dog houses that people would come for 300 miles. People would drive from San Diego by the Mexican border to come up and <laughs> to buy dogs. So let me just read. I've got this final statement, and then we're going to stop this morning. Hallelujah. I know. God is good. you got to love me anyhow. Like I said, another three hours and we'll be done. Foundations must be the love of God. This has to be the priority of study for only from this foundation now this, I'm sorry, this isn't the quote. This is just me reading here. Well, actually, I'm gonna, let me just go to the quotes. I don't have time to read all this rest. Yeah, but foundations, their function is critical. And again, we can just read over that verse, but I want you to catch this. The function of the foundation is critical. They're carefully designed, prepared, inspected, formed, poured, reinforced rather, inspected again, sealed, and then after all that, almost totally covered back up with dirt. The foundation is what keeps us firmly planted. A house doesn't just sit on a foundation, it's securely attached. Every 18 inches around the perimeter of the house, there's a large bolt embedded in the cement that affixes to the floor of the house. In addition to that, there are multiple steel straps, each of them several feet long, that are also embedded in the cement foundation and later attached to the walls of the house with an almost ridiculous number of fasteners. All of this connection keeps the home safe when the wind and the rain or should an earthquake ever surface. Framers are quick to point out, framers are the guys that actually build on top, you know, build the actual house itself on top of the foundation, Framers were quick to point out that whoever had done the foundation of a house had this particular house, so I didn't put all in. Framers were quick to point out that whoever had done the foundation of this particular house had done exceptional work. They were glad to see that it had been done so well because all the work they were about to do would depend upon it. Straight and square walls start with a straight and square foundation was their perspective. So what am I saying? Paul said you need to be rooted deep in the love, in the love of God. And your foundation needs to be on nothing else but the love of God. Amen? There's so much else I want to say, but like I said, we don't have time this morning. But I pray that you've heard a little bit, that you're beginning, and I pray that you stick with us on this journey. I guarantee you by God's grace and authority that you will no more be better prepared for life itself if you follow through with this teaching. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, in the holy name of the Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have so loved us that you sent your only begotten Son. 
We give you praise, Father, for the great and the intense love wherewith you have loved us. For even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, you loved us and you saved us and you healed us. So, Father, I give you praise for this truth. May it be an ever-living truth in each and every one of us. May we dig deep, bless God. May we dig deep, dig deep, dig deep and build good foundations on your love and nothing else. May we be rooted so deep in the soil of your love, Father, that we produce good fruit. Again, the deeper the roots, the greater the fruits. I give you praise for this, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.